Thank you, Brian and choir. A lot of people have asked me, I could have done this during announcements, so I wanted to do it here just because uh, I know I have your more attention at least. A lot of people have been asking over the last few weeks, especially the last couple of months, where we are in regards to a full-time worship director or full-time worship pastor. And a number of people, probably every single week, I'll either get a phone call, it's usually an email, or just a note of a, of a word on the way in or out. Uh, what about Brian? And Brian has done a phenomenal job for us, incredibly gifted. <laughs> exceptionally gifted, unbelievably humble. And it's been an absolute delight by God as a gift that he has given us to be able to have him here during the Sidorum period. We had a number of conversations, and Brian and I have talked very specifically about this issue Really, in just the last couple of weeks, and especially in light of last week's concert. How many of you were here uh, last Sunday night? Just a great time with the Lord together. But it really became clear to Brian and to us, but Brian is actively pursuing his journey as a worship leader on a broader level in the body of Christ, and he desires to share those kinds of concerts and his gifts and his talents in a number of directions. So he will not be applying for the position here, but will stay and stay with us and continue to serve our church on this interim period as we look for a worship pastor. And I said to him last week, we were talking, we meet every Thursday, and I said, a lot of folks have been asking, I feel like I need to let them know where we are in that journey. And, and we both came to the same conclusion, and he said, you know, this Sunday would be great for you to do that, especially in light of last Sunday night's concert. Really feel like that's where God's calling me. And so I'd encourage you to pray for him and pray with him as God moves him in that particular direction and opens up more and more doors of opportunity for him to share his gifts with the broader body of Christ. Next Sunday morning, I really believe, I'm about 98% sure right now, that next Sunday morning I'll be able to tell you exactly where we are in our journey with that. So I hope you'll come back. James chapter 1 is where we are this morning. In your bulletin is sermon notes. How many of you noticed I haven't said that for a while? In your bulletin is sermon notes. I encourage you to take them out so that you can follow along. Kind of every few weeks it, it lends itself to that. As I begin to explore it and look at it, I recognize this is one of those where sermon notes would be beneficial. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I'm not sure how many of you are using them or use them on a regular basis, but in light of the material, we'll choose basically Thursday afternoon or Friday. Linda and I, my secretary, sit down and say, this one needs it. And so we put them together, and we did for this week. We've been in James chapter 1 for a while. not going to apologize for that at all. Next Sunday morning, I'll expound on that topic or that subject even more. Last Sunday morning, we looked at this clear distinction that James makes in chapter 1, especially in the NIV version, or the New International Version, a clear distinction between trials and temptation. Sometimes, in some translations, they're put together. James, in this section, and I believe the NIV translates it better, and that is, there's a clear distinction between trials and temptations. Trials in your sermon notes are to be endured. Temptations are to be avoided. Trials are to be endured. God's going to make you stronger. You'll be able to develop inside. You'll recognize that's taking place. Temptations are to be avoided. Now, speaking of temptation, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, James says this. Now, when you're tempted, you need to know, he said at the beginning, all of us are going to go through trials at one time or the other. For some, they're very difficult and very long. Sometimes they're short. Sometimes it's an occurrence. Other times it's an event. 
Sometimes it's a process. But every one of us, at some point or the other in our journey of life, we're going to go through them. Temptations, however, are different. You're also going to be tempted. Every single one of us will. But you need to know that when you're tempted, verse 13, no one should say God is doing this. He may have brought the trials. He is not bringing the temptation. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, does he tempt anyone. But each one, when tempted by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived. One of the major issues of the book of James, we said last Sunday morning, is perseverance. The ability to stay the course. To hold on to God with every fiber of your being, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at, no matter what's thrown at, thrown at you, I will not let go of God. Sometimes you feel like you're holding on to Him with your very breath. You can't make it another day without holding, God on, holding on to God with every fiber of your being. James is saying, I just want you to know that's a part of the process. So don't let go. No matter what, do not let go. In that process, he gives us an end product or a promise. He said, if you hold on to God with everything you have, you stay the course, you don't give up, you're going to receive the crown of life. Now, I said last Sunday there's a fascinating paradox in these few verses here. Because sometimes the process of, of holding steady seems like death at times. How many of you have said, when you're going through difficult circumstances, especially if you see no end in sight, I feel like I'm going to what? feel like I'm going to die. But he said, if you hold on, you will have life. This life as well as eternal life. Giving into trials, though, sometimes feels like you're going to die. But he said, I need you to know there is life at the end of that. Here in these verses, 13 to 16, the process of temptation and giving into it sometimes may feel like life feels good. The pressure is overwhelming. I, I just feel like I need this or I need that or I have to give in to this or I just gave in to that. At the moment it felt good, he says, I need you to understand the end product of giving in to temptation, however, is death. For by giving in to sin, marriages get destroyed, relationships get shattered, dreams are broken, and churches are rendered ineffective. Even though when giving in to that temptation, if you've ever been there, you recognize for a moment it may have felt good, it may have felt like a little life that came into your life. James says, I just need you to know that giving into that temptation brings death. Marriages get destroyed, relationships get shattered, dreams are broken, and churches are rendered ineffective. Now James gets pretty intense in this whole text. He gets into our face and says, you may not be responsible for the actions of other people, but believe me, you are the one responsible for your own actions, so quit blaming everyone else. We live in a culture where it's difficult to get people to take responsibility for their actions. The coffee is too hot for McDonald's and I got burned, so I'm going to sue McDonald's for giving me hot coffee. And you see it done all the time. If we get cold coffee from them, we're going to give it back. If we get hot coffee and it burns me, I'm going to sue them. I read a story this week of a, of a thief who in the process of robbing a home severely injured himself, he then had the audacity to sue the owner of the home for damages and what? Won the case. The Mendendez brothers who brutally murdered their parents blamed the child abuse issues they had to face through life for their reactions or actions. 
the criminal who murders someone whose defense saying I had a difficult time in my childhood. Life is unfair. It doesn't mean we don't bear the responsibility for our actions. It seems as if no one is accountable for his or her own actions anymore. And more and more, our culture claims that somebody or someone else is at fault. Everybody has it out for me. Now, we have an interesting twist sometimes on the issue of responsibility. For a lot of Christians, events are either the result of God's sovereignty or Satan and his demons. For non-believers, it's just luck, fate, or the stars. Now, believe me, God is sovereign. He can do anything He wants to do, but so often... We fail to take responsibility for our actions, behaviors, or circumstances by saying that God must have led me here or God must have wanted this or that to happen. And You also need to remember there are demons at work in the issues of life. Do not ever underestimate the sovereignty of God. And don't ever, ever underestimate the power of Satan. God is alive and active in the affairs of humanity, and Satan is alive and active in an all-out effort to derail God's plan for your life. What James is here to remind us is that many times the situations we're in or the behavior we're displaying or the reactions we've had are our own fault, and we need to honestly admit that. I've heard pastors say, I I must be doing something right because the devil is really after me. And sometimes that may be true. And sometimes it may have been because you did something really stupid. And now you're paying the price for whatever that may have been. Do not always blame it on spiritual warfare. Last week we addressed the issue of personal responsibility. Either for not taking responsibility for where I am or how I feel or how I respond to my circumstances. Or the other extreme that I said sometimes I struggle with is blaming ourselves for everything. At the end of the message I said we've got to look honestly about where we're at what we're dealing with, learn what I'm responsible for and what I'm not, and to be able to take a clear understanding of the circumstances that I'm in. Now this week, the issue is the issue of sin. Sermon is entitled The Sin Cycle. My wife said to me, is that from the spin cycle in the washing machine? I said, well, there's some similarities going round and round in the same circles. James fleshes it out in verse 14 to 15. When you're tempted, he said in verse 13, don't blame God. Take responsibility for your own actions where you are. You need to know this. This is the cycle as he fleshes it out. Each one of us is tempted when? By your own evil desires. By his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now the context here in these two verses is the issue of sin. Or the context of sin. James is basically saying... You need to really look at life. You need to look at your circumstances. You need to look at the situation around you and recognize that when you're tempted, if you give in, one thing is always going to lead to the other. It's not a maybe. It's not a possibility. I'm just here to say, James is here to say, one thing will always lead to the other. You give in to that temptation, and it will stay there. You give in to your own desires, it will stay there, and eventually it will give birth to an action, and that action you need to know right now will give birth to death. It always leads down that path. Now the two words that James uses here in verse 14 are a hunting term and a fishing term. The word carried away, he says, in, in, or dragged away, depending on how your translation reads, is a hunting term. Now, I, I like hunting terms, so that works for me. But it's a little bit different than what we normally think of in regards to a hunting term. For me, to hunt means to look for. But there are some people in some contexts, if you're a hunter and know enough about it, at times if you've ever gone to Maine to hunt bear, 
they put a lot of bait down. They bait the bait with honey. They put something that they will know will entice the bear, put it in a barrel so that he can come to it, and then they'll sit over him on a, on a, on a tree stand of some kind, and when the bear comes in to eat what he's naturally attached to or desiring, they shoot him, and they call that hunting. Now, if you've gotten one that way, I apologize, because <laughs> I know you're really now upset with me, especially for all the money you paid for that hunt. But I, 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 I from my vantage point, and I know I'm going to get emails for this one, but from my vantage point, I don't see that the same kind of hunting to look for, to, to go out. Now, uh, some people do it with coyote hunting. There are coyotes all over Pennsylvania. Sometimes they'll entice them in with a with a a rabbit that is caught in a trap. It's not a real rabbit, so don't get upset with that. But it's a sound. And, and that coyote comes in, and the closer he gets, then they take him out. We all do that with turkey hunting. You ever turkey hunted, especially in the spring with a gobbler? You do what? You set out a decoy. And you know why he's coming to the detour, decoy. I don't have to give you any illustrations on that one, do I? He, he, you know, he fans himself out. He's strutting his stuff, and you see all the parallels between guys in that. But, and then all of a sudden, the closer he gets, you're going to what? Take him out. That's the same kind of analogy that, now James doesn't think of hunting in that context, but he says this is the same kind of thing you need to see. What Satan does is put something in front of you that looks really enticing, and he's trying to lure you in. And then when he does, he has you where he wants you, and bam, he'll nail you. The word entice is a fishing term. It's a term that means to, to bait a hook. The words say each one uniquely, every single one of us is uniquely tempted, and that unique bait, I think it's in your sermon notes, is consistent with your own lust. Lust is not always a sexual issue. It is something that I really have to have. Could be something within the context of a sexual issue. Could be something in the context of a possession. But it's very consistent with what is inside of you that says, I have to have that. I cannot live without it. Specific to your own particular vulnerability. Consistent with your own particular weakness. Your weakness is completely different in mine than vice versa. You, you may have seen someone fall in an area and you've said, how can they do that? How would they have ever fallen for that? But they could see you see the same thing or see the same thing about you if you fall for something. Every single one of us, in your notes, has an area of our life that we are very vulnerable to. James uses the fishing term because he knew many could understand it. If you fish, you know there are different kinds of bait depending on the kind of fish that you want to catch. And you also need to remember, you're not out there to feed the fish, are you? You're out there to what? Catch the fish. There are things that each of us have to deal with. Things that each of us want and just simply look for in life. And they may in and of themselves be a fine thing. But if we're not careful, those things can consume us. And we want them so bad that we'll sacrifice anything to get them. And we go after them with everything we have. It's very particular to each of us wherever you are in life. But if those things in and of themselves, which are okay end up consuming us, and if they're not under the power of God's Spirit, they will be the things that the enemy will use to draw us in to that bait. Good fishermen or good fisherwomen know that on most occasions, you've got to let the fish take the bait for a while, right? Until he thinks he's got away with it, and then what? Bam! You set the hook, and you reel the fish in. 
powerful analogy to how sin works, isn't it? Just when you think you got away with it, just when you think you're on the computer nobody saw, nobody knew where I was at, nobody knew that I did it, I did it within the privacy of my own home. I hear that one all the time. Well, it's okay as long as we do it within the context of the privacy of our own home. Just when we think we got away with it, bam, the hook gets set and the enemy reels us in. The bait is different for all of us. Satan is an incredible observer of humanity. When I said before, never underestimate the sovereignty and power of God and don't ever underestimate the power of Satan. He's a clever observer of humanity. He knows your every weakness. Could be alcohol. Could be possessions. Maybe women. Most men struggle with the top three. Power, money, or lust. They either really enjoy power. They love success. And success in and of itself may be okay. But all of a sudden there becomes something addictive about that success. Until they have to have another one. Pastors struggle with it in the size of their church. We'll go to seminars and we'll talk about how big our church is or the size of our staff or how many services we have on Sunday morning or that we have weekend services in seven different campuses. And if we're not careful, in and of themselves, they can be wonderful. But even pastors struggle with that issue of success. And the enemy knows what to dangle in front of you that sounds good, that seems okay. Until all of a sudden we get consumed with success until we want more and more. could be money or the desire. Money in and of itself is fine. It's not money that is evil. What? It's the love of money. Until I can't get enough. Or it could be possessions. Possessions in and of themselves are fine. But it's that necessity that I have to have the next best one. Or I have to have the biggest one or the newest one. I have to have the most recent one or the largest one or drive the nicest one. Until all of a sudden that thing in and of itself which was fine begins to so consume us that now we can't get enough, whatever that enough may be. 60s and 70s, where I grew up, it was all about freedom. If it feels good, what? Do it. Like Nike came up with something new. We've been saying that since the 60s. If it feels, just do it. That's okay. And so they did, so we did. You know the result of that just do it behavior? Addiction. 80s and 90s were rampant with it. Until now, in the year 2010, it is out of control. We couldn't get enough. We couldn't have enough. We couldn't get more until all of a sudden everything in this last year or so has collapsed. And now we are all looking around saying, wow, what did I put my faith in? What was driving me? Now, for some people sitting in a room, you know you've stayed away from all of that bad stuff. Look, my issue isn't alcohol. It's not women. It's not money. It's not lust. It's not success. I'm happy. I'm content where I'm at. I'm okay with what I have. I don't have trouble with alcohol. don't have trouble with women. But using the fishing metaphor, you float a piece of gossip by their nose, and they're hooked. And they, they just, something inside says, I've got to pass this along, and, and I, I sense this little, I shouldn't, and I, but I really want to. And so we come up with this. Now I'm just telling you this so we know how to pray for them. <laughs> it's the only reason I'm sharing it. And you don't have to share it with anybody else, but I know Susie would love to know how to pray for them. So if you want to share with her, that's okay. 
And when we say to ourselves, look, I don't struggle with any of those other issues. Satan knows that I'm strong. I don't give in to alcohol, don't give in to drugs, don't give in to immorality, I don't deal with pornography. I'm, I'm strong in those areas and I'm comfortable, so you talk to them about sin. Brother, preach it, let them know. And then all of a sudden we, we stop for a moment and recognize that every single one of us, James said, has an area of weakness or vulnerability. James would say, you and I both know what got you where you're at, and you and I both know what you're dealing with. And you and I both know what the enemy can use to drag you down, lure you away, and capture you. Knowing that in your sermon note, knowing that it's different for all of us, it causes us or should cause us to do at least two things. Number one in your notes, it should keep me from looking at other people's flaws saying, I would never do that. Knowing that every single one of us has an area of vulnerability. Knowing that every single one of us has an issue that the enemy is trying to pull us in with or pull us away from God with. We need to be very careful about being so self-righteous or pious that I would have never done that. I would have never fallen for that. I would never do that. Be very careful, Paul says in Corinthians. The second thing that it should cause me to do is to be very aware of my area of, of vulnerability. It should keep me from looking at other people's flaws saying I'd never do that and it should be <laughs> keep me very aware of my level of vulnerability. Where's my Achilles heel? If you remember the old story from growing up in high school. May have armor on every place else but where's my Achilles heel? Where's my weakness? Where is my area of vulnerability? Every single one of us. No one is left out, James says. Every single one of us have an area. And that area, all of our lives need to be subject to the power of God's Spirit. And that area specifically needs to be really completely under the foot of the cross. It may take being very honest with yourself. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks by looking in the mirror. It, it may take a safe friend walking into somebody's life who you give permission to. I, we, we Christians are pretty good at pointing out other people's flaws. But I, what I like is somebody where, where I give permission. Look, is there something in my life that you see is out of, out of balance? I trust you. you. You love me. I know you love me. I, I can feel that. I sense that. Could I just simply ask you, do you see something in my life that's out of balance? That maybe I've been too consumed with this or getting that or acquiring this? It may take counseling. But at least ask a really safe friend. A safe friend may or may not be your mate, maybe a friend in your small group, maybe somebody that you love. I've got a small group that I adore, and I, I share a lot with them. And we share a lot with each other. There may be somebody else in your life in another context. Pastors really wrestle with this issue of who to share those vulnerable areas with. And finding that safe friend that you can say, look, is there something you see? Or, or, or allowing somebody to speak into your life based on what they've seen. All of us have that area of our life. Each uniquely, the words James uses, according to our own particular desire. Don't ever buy the lie that it cannot happen to you. Satan knows your weakness. He knows the area that you're most vulnerable. You and I both have to constantly be on our guard. That's why Peter uses that phrase. Be aware. Recognize. Be alert. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You can never buy the lie that since you may have taken the bait at some times, at some point in your life you cannot get free. 
Don't ever buy the lie that it cannot happen to you and don't ever buy the lie that since maybe you have taken the bait, you cannot get free. That lie is from the pit of hell. Some of us need to be very honest about our issues and repent. Others of us need to recognize and know there is hope in Christ. Lack of taking personal responsibility for sin and a digression began in the Garden of Eden, as I said to you last Sunday morning, where God places them in an absolutely perfect environment with everything they could have possibly wanted, except one thing, one boundary, one thing they could not do. And that's the one thing Satan comes in in that area of vulnerability and says, I see everything else you have, but do you think God's holding out to you or on you on this one thing? And then you see James's digression. They looked, or they listened, they looked, they took, and they ate. And that's James 1, 14 and 15 spelled out. And the price of that eating was death, physically and spiritually. Continue with men like David. David at the height of his ministry. David at the height of his kingdomhood. Had everything you could have possibly wanted as a king. Power, wealth, riches, fame, glory. You couldn't have given David any more. But one day when everybody else is out to war, David looks over a balcony and sees Bathsheba and goes after that one thing that he didn't have. It cost the death of Bathsheba's husband. It cost the death of that son that they finally bore because they had a relationship with one another and she became pregnant and that son died. Listening, looking, taking, and giving in always leads to death. In your notes this morning, I've given you just some things because this seems to be one of the areas in which we're most vulnerable, especially maybe as men. So just let me give you some things to, to help you through the process of building some barriers around yourself. In your notes is something that I did years ago when I was actually talking about David's life in this area with Bathsheba, how this digression takes place where you eventually or begin to accept sinful thoughts under manage your mind in your notes. And then there's that emotional, non-physical involvement, and then that physical involvement, and then eventually the rationalization that comes with that. You see someone, things may not be good at home, your relationship with your mate may not be what it needs to be, and you find somebody at work who seems to listen. I say this all the time. The number two need of a man is companionship. The number two need of a female is conversation. Guys really don't care if we talk about anything, but we do things together. Guys don't go on a fishing trip so they can talk about some of the stuff inside that I just really feel. <laughs> they don't do that. If they do, you won't go fishing with them the next time. <laughs> I, oh, man. I'll let the files keep on going through. But we don't very often. And, and the beauty in my case, I got, I got two guys specifically that I've hunted with for the last 15 years that I really do feel comfortable sharing our stuff with but we, we don't we just want somebody to do things with and gals just want somebody to talk to or talk with them about some of the stuff they're facing in life and in the middle of that circle of relationships if you find somebody or find that your husband doesn't meet one need or your wife doesn't meet another in the middle of that circle of relationships some comes somebody else who does things that you wish your wife did or talks in a way that you wish your husband did and all of a sudden you find yourself thinking i wish my husband was like that or i wish my wife did these things I wish my wife enjoyed this stuff. I wish my husband would talk to me like he does. 
And then all of a sudden you find yourself just wanting to be around that individual more and more often. Maybe at work, and then all of a sudden you, you find yourself taking lunches at the same time or going to the same time for the break or wherever that may be. And to all of a sudden there's that non-physical involvement that you realize you just want to be around them until the next thing there's that physical involvement and then rationalization. And you need to know that adultery isn't just within the context of the sexual act. The word adulterate means to add something to the mix that doesn't belong. And if you're married, no other person in that relationship emotionally belongs in that relationship. You need to minimize the opportunity of having your notes. A downward progression is a, another way of spelling it out. You become too familiar with someone, and the feelings begin to develop. You want to be around them more often, which will then lead to moral failure. In the verse from Corinthians that I alluded to a long time or a while ago, be very careful. If you're thinking, this is out of the Living Bible, if you're thinking, oh, I'd never behave like that, let this be a warning to you because you too may fall into sin. Some safeguards that, that I have put around our staff and many others as well. It's one of the things that I so absolutely admire about Billy Graham is all of his life and all of his ministry, he constantly put parameters around himself. Those of us in this capacity on this stage have a target in our chest bigger than you can imagine. Don't travel alone. Don't be alone with the opposite sex. These are in your notes. Talk or need to be written in the blanks wherever they are. Talk positively about your mate. Be accountable to other people. Choose your friends carefully. Most affairs come within the context of known relationships. And look beyond the temptation to the consequences. I had a pastor friend who shared with me a number of years ago, and he said, Denny, anytime you ever get in front of ministers or missionaries, I give you freedom to talk about where I went and what I did. But he said, to be honest with you, I never, ever, ever imagined how difficult it would be to sit down with my kids and tell them what I did. And to stand up in front of my church and tell them what I did. So anytime you ever have the chance to talk about this downward progression, because he knew what I shared, tell them over and over again, always look beyond the temptation to the consequences. And so James says, I need you to know, it's in there. You know it, I know it. Don't blame it on God, don't blame it on anything else. You know it's in there. Be very careful because when you give in, you need to know that you're allowing it to remain there. And eventually it's going to destroy you. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4 when he said, don't let your anger go into sin. Don't let it stay there. Because all you've done is given Satan a foothold. And within the context of that foothold, he's going to establish a beachhead, and then he's going to build a stronghold, and he will destroy you. Sometimes we attach ourselves to things. He gives us a birth analogy here. We, we attach our passions to things that were never designed to give us life, and, and all of a sudden we start finding that we get life from all of those things, and then we have to have more and more and bigger and bigger, but it's never enough. So we go after more and yet never are satisfied. I think that's unique how he ends this whole section in verse 17. Look at it. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Look to Him for everything you need. It comes down from Him, Father of lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. A commentary that I read a lot in preparation for these messages had a 
piece at the very bottom of this section of material, a note from Richard Foster, who wrote Spiritual Disciplines and a lot of other great books. And he says this, For the believer, the follower of Christ, the goal is not heaven. That's the destination. The goal is that Christ be formed in you. The goal of the Christian life is not heaven. That's the destination. The goal of the Christian life is to be more and more like Christ, who, as Paul says, in every way was tempted like us, yet didn't give in. Let's pray. Father, the last few weeks have been intense. I know that. I'm looking forward to next Sunday. Power of the Word. But we cannot avoid the issue. We cannot act as if it doesn't exist. Every single one of us in the context of this room, maybe by the power of your Spirit, has already been spoken to about an area of our life that we've kind of just danced around too long. We've left it there. We've known it. We've known it's a weakness. We recognize it's a struggle. We mask it over by saying we're just struggling with an area as opposed to saying it's an area of sin that I'm afraid of. Father, I just ask by the power of your Spirit in these few moments as we close this morning that you will speak as loud as you've ever spoken. Because every single one of us, James is honest and telling us every one of us has an area, something in our life that if not subjected to Christ and the power of His Spirit can pull us away and once we give into that, we'll give birth to sin and sin will always give birth to death. So relationships get destroyed and marriages are ended. And children are left in the balance of wondering, who do I trust? Where do I go? Pastors fall and churches get destroyed. Lives get shattered because someone passed information that wasn't true. Because we have a tendency to always look for or believe the negative, a reputation has been hurt. Father, in the name of Jesus, during these moments, would you speak? And help us to be really honest about what that may be. That we need to deal with and submit to Christ.